Welcome to the Cinema Men Podcast. I'm your host, John Murphy, and I'm joined by my co-host, Matt Hurdle. Hello, John, and welcome back. Welcome back. It's been a long time since we ended season zero, and now we are in season zero plus one for all you math nerds. Season (laughs) 0.5. So we we took a bit of a break. We ended uh, season zero, if you remember, with... Beetlejuice, which I thought was a pretty good ending in in October. And now we are back with the 1995 action sci-fi film Johnny Mnemonic, directed by Robert Longo and starring Keanu Reeves, Dina Mayer, and Ice-T. Starting off strong. Starting off strong on season one. Um... Maybe. <laughs> if this is your first time joining us, what we typically do is start off with a review of the film. We follow that up with our very own awards, the Spice Awards. Finally, Did You Know is a section in which we go through some interesting facts about the movie we found on the internet. This is a spoiler podcast, so if you've never seen the movie and you don't want to be spoiled, pause this episode, go watch the movie, and then come back. Also, stay tuned till the end of the episode where we always reveal what our next movie will be so you can follow along with us. Before we get started, I want to tell you all where you can get in touch with us. You can email us at feedback at cinemamenpodcast.com or check us out on Twitter at twitter.com slash cinemamenpod. If you would like to support us monetarily, you can go to anchor.fm slash cinemamenpodcast slash support. You can start supporting us for as little as 99 cents a month, and we use that money to go buy movies and improve the quality of the podcast. So in advance, thank you very much. Now, the plot synopsis for Johnny Mnemonic from imdb.com is a data courier literally carrying a data package inside his head must deliver it before he dies from the burden or is killed by the Yakuza. That is just an awesome synopsis. I don't know. I don't know about that one. Maybe. It doesn't get you in the mood? No. No. No? <laughs> I mean, well, I guess it's it's a little accurate, but it leaves a lot out. But I guess that's the point, right? It's one of those zingers. Like, it's real quick and it gets you interested, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's review. Let's review. Hit, so, me. Hit me with that opinionated right. review, John Murphy. Let's see what you think. Hit me. Was that a uh, reference to the movie? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> of course it was. That All completely right. was not a uh, accidental <laughs> reference. Right. Hit me. Hit me. <clears throat> so, Johnny Mnemonic holds a special place in the old heart for me. However, I know it is complete garbage for the most part. I think this movie does a great job of skirting the line between an amazingly prophetic film and a complete and complete garbage. Like a very entertaining B-movie. Let me explain. Uh, 
I know, I know a lot of people really dislike this movie. It has like a 13% on Rotten Tomatoes or something. Uh, and to those people, I want to say, what is wrong with you? <laughs> uh, but seriously, I, 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 I can't argue a lot of the points. The acting is very sketchy across the board. The plot is the decision making of the plot. Sometimes I don't even know what's going on. This movie's kind of like a three-legged dog. You you want to root for it, but you know it's going to have a hard life. <laughs> so, um, Keanu Reeves. Let's talk about Keanu. He is both terrible and magnificent in this movie. There are some scenes when I where I question how he got to become as popular as he has. Uh, and then there's some scenes where he shows us exactly why he got there. Like there's one scene where he's ranting about no longer having creature comforts that he normally has. And that whole rant is awesome. Uh, but then there's a bunch of scenes where he's delivering lines like a amateur high school, high schooler in a play or something. Um, the best part of this movie is the world building. I think it has a very blade runner feel. Um, and there are many innovative and forward-thinking ideas that we will talk about, I'm sure. Um, but, for example, motion-activated faucets. That was not a thing in 1990, what, 1995? What, whenever this movie came out. 1995. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was something that we have everywhere now. Uh, yeah. The VR headset. Looks very similar to a lot to the VR headsets that we now wear. It does, yes. Uh, video conferencing. There's another thing. Anyway, the plot I think is pretty interesting. I like the idea of these data couriers who have to smuggle data from place to place in their heads. Uh, Johnny being desperate enough to overload his hard drive on his last run in order to get the memories back, his memories that he lost back. That was interesting. Jane, who is the secondary character, I liked her subplot where she's trying to become like the toughest bodyguard ever, uh, but has this disease or virus that's, uh, and she's always trying to prove herself. But that black subplot shakes. just kind of, yeah, the black shakes, NAS. Uh, that subplot kind of just dies after she meets Johnny, though. Um, the movie's also pretty overstuffed with ideas. I understand why they were trying to get it all in there because probably there wasn't going to be a second movie and there wasn't. Uh, but it doesn't give the film any time to breathe. Like it's just one thing after another. Boom, boom, boom. Mm-hmm. This was also in the um, days before, you know, extra movies were a common thing. Yeah. Yeah, there was no guarantee that a second movie is going to do well, or if it did well, that there were gonna, there was going to be a second movie. Uh, I think the score is underrated. Honestly, it has no memorable melody like a lot of classic scores, but some of it's pretty good, and it uses a lot of synth. And overall, it has kind of a dark melody, dark mood. I thought it was pretty decent. Uh, the supporting cast is all over the place. Uh, some characters are just plain bad, like the character, I think his name is Baldy, but he's one of the Yakuza who's trying to kill Johnny, and he's just, <laughs> he can't deliver his lines, he's 
barely fleshed out. He's terrible. Uh, but then you have like the street preacher played by Dolph Lundgren. He's extremely wacky and over the top, but that also makes it really fun to watch. And he has a really cool death scene. Uh, Spider, who is played by Henry Rollins, the comedian slash musician. <laughs> uh, I wouldn't say he acted well, but it was just good enough to get the plot across, get the idea across. Ice-T plays J-Bone, the leader of the Lotex. I thought he was okay. Uh, but overall, I think the characters are pretty bad, but they also seem appropriate for the movie. <clears throat> So basically what I'm trying to say is this is a bad movie. It has some surprising moments that I think are genius and some really good scenes. And I consider it one of those movies that's so bad. It's good. Mm. Like I grew up watching this movie and I was in love with it as a kid. Like I could watch it over and over and over again and not get tired of it. Um, there was even a video game. It was a full motion video action game. Uh, adventure game didn't have Keanu Reeves in it, but it basically followed the plot of the movie. And I played that game a whole bunch. So I had no idea there was a video game based on this. There is. <clears throat> well, oh. for my part, um, are you, are you finished? I'm sorry. Yes, I'm done. Go ahead. All right. <laughs> so, uh, I definitely didn't have the love affair with this movie that you did. Um, prior to watching it, uh, just recently, I'd only seen it one or two times. And um, I think one time you made me watch it. And the second time was in a uh, computer ethics class when I was in college where the professor wanted us to watch this movie and then talk about the things it presented. Mm -hmm. um, neither time did I really give this movie the attention that it deserved. And I just kind of half watched it and probably was playing on my phone or doodling or doing something like that. Um. So all that said, this recent time, I really I did. I gave the movie its due. I, I gave it my attention and I sat down to see what it had to say and, and what it was presenting to me. And, you know, at the end of the day, I liked it. I liked the movie. I really did. Um, it as I get into this review, it's going to sound like I didn't like it. So I wanted to preface it with I did. <laughs> <laughs> Just so that you can know I'm coming back. So don't think this is going to be all hate. Uh, this movie to me, it felt like this time, and it's always felt like a, a B movie that has a really big budget. And I, I've sat down and I've tried to think of why that is. And honestly, I can't really pinpoint what it is. You know, it it might be that the lighting's a little weird. The acting's a little below average. Um the, the CGI is pretty bad. I, I don't know. It, it's Maybe it's all of those things, but I really get B-movie vibes from this. Mm -hmm. Just with a big budget, because the explosions all looked great. They, they spent all their money on explosions, I think. <laughs> um, so I'm going to start with the hardest thing to review, and, and that's the writing. Um, the, the plot itself, honestly, is pretty intriguing plot. We're set up into a future that's not extremely distant. In fact, I think it's set in 2021, so next year. Mm -hmm. uh, as you said, the Internet, it's now completely in VR, and corporations pretty much have all of the power. There's a resistance group that's risen up to fight against them, and there's a virus that's running rampant around the world. 
Um, so yeah, uh, definite <laughs> points on the prophecy there. <laughs> I yeah. mean, uh, that's pretty, that's pretty close to what we've got. The only difference is there's absolutely no mention of government. It's just all corporations, which mm-hmm. yeah, I'm not going to get into uh, edit editorials here, but uh, it could be argued that that's pretty close to how the world works now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you've got this this really cool setup where there's a virus running around. Corporations are kind of running everything. Uh, there's a group that's anti-corporation that's rising up against them, kind of a rebellion going on. And to respond to this group, the corporations have decided to hire the Yakuza for help. And that pretty much sums up for me, how I feel about this writing, right? It's, it's an interesting premise that they give us. And then they put something on top of that premise that winds up being more like a lemon on an ice cream sundae than a cherry. Right. (laughs) And so you wind up with a sour taste in your mouth. Why John, why would corporations all over the world decide exclusively to hire the Yakuza as enforcers? They're the most dangerous gang in the world. Are they? Are they? (laughs) I mean, why not? Why not private militaries? Why not? You know, militias. If if corporations are running the world, then they would have their own armies, I would think. Uh, But bodyguards, (laughs) even secret service agents, you know, no, we're going to we're going to import people from Japan to work for us. I don't know. It just doesn't make sense. Right. But the premise is so cool. So uh, that kind of sums up the, this whole plot for me, right? The, the plot is good. Like, it's actually pretty great. But they always like to add that little extra bit that spoils what would have been a delicious ice cream sundae. And uh, I've got some examples for you if you want some. Mm-hmm. Uh, one, the, the preacher character. Yeah. He was completely unnecessary. What yeah. was the point of that character? He was just a weirdo eccentric character that shows up, hunts people for a while, and then dies. He has no bearing on the plot whatsoever. Nope. He's just this weirdo dude that's running around killing people and talking about Jesus, and he's mostly robot, and that's all we really know about him. I agree, he's an interesting character, but he was he had no purpose, right? That's right. Uh two. At the end of the movie, we have a scene where uh, Johnny Mnemonic hacks his own brain and then, (laughs) sorry, this is hard to say with a straight face, but this actually plays out well in the context of the movie. He hacks his own brain, he takes it, and he holds it up to a flying VR dolphin that uh, shoots the data and is able to get the information that he needs, which is the final image for a password. While he's doing this, he activates these viruses who come out and attack him. And for the life of me, I don't know what those viruses were doing. Like it came out and it duplicated itself and then it just kind of went away. Like, I think maybe it was shooting at him or something. I I don't know. But they never really addressed what happened with that thing. And it's like the scene itself would have been neat. But the whole virus attack was just terrible. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the ending fight, it's great. You know, it's emotional. You're, you're on the edge of your seat like, oh, they're going to get him. They're going to get him. And then they throw in a here comes back the preacher guy. And oh, no, it's just a crane lifting him up. Like, come on. <laughs> Why? Why would you do that? It was it was it was ridiculous. Um, the low techs. Let's talk about the low techs. Right. 
they're mm-hmm. they're such a cool idea. These guys who are kind of shunning technology because they think that the the NSA plague is caused by it, and they're just trying to make the world a better place. But you know, they have great designs, great costumes, great makeup. But the movie portrays them like they're the Three Stooges. <laughs> Like every one of them are just bumbling morons, except for J Bone. It's so strange. Um, you didn't like the two guys that were uh, guarding the, the place. No, no, it was funny, but it didn't make any sense. Like, who are these idiots? They're just like sitting around. Uh, there's somebody talking out there. I'm not going to worry about it. We're just going to sit here. No, I'm going to drop a car on him. I'm like, what? <laughs> <It's> like- <laughs> <laughs> that spider's van. Oh, let's drop a car anyway. <laughs> and speaking of, let's talk about Spider, right? Yeah. I thought Spider was a great character, but he's like the most famous man in the world. I think every single character in this movie knew Spider. Mm-hmm. Every one of them. The, the bad guys knew him. The, the good guys knew him. Maybe the Yakuza didn't, but... They probably did. It was like everywhere he went, everyone was like, are you spider? And he's like, I'm spider. It was it was weird. Uh, On top of that, he's a doctor. He is a quote unquote flesh mechanic. So, you know, he's doing well, but he lives in a hole and he drives the turtle van. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And I I could go on and on and on and on. Right. Uh, What? What? Again and again and again, what this movie does is it gives me two scoops of greatness and a scoop of poop. (laughs) It's what it does over and over and over, which means that two thirds of this movie was pretty great. But that last one third was I was eating poop, you know, Mm. and not good. You know, the ice cream was good. Right. But is delicious ice cream worth eating poop for? Most people would most people would say no. (laughs) Uh, so, I mean, in terms of the writing, I think, and I've gone on for a while on this, sorry, but, uh, this is kind of an average to bad movie, but I feel like it has some really good ideas in it that are poorly executed. Um, I was interested, but some of the curveballs that it threw, I just couldn't hit them, you know, mm-hmm. too many strikes and I was out. Um, as far as the acting, I think you were pretty much right on par there. Um, it's pretty much nothing outstanding in terms of acting. Um, nothing that I really thought was just terrible, but nothing that was good either. Just kind of meh. Uh, same for the cinematography. Um, individual scenes looked great um, in terms of art direction. A, a lot of the sets looked really good, but whenever you zoomed out, it got bad quick. Right. Like every shot of that bridge where the low tech headquarters was, I was just like, oh, my gosh, that's the best you could do. It just didn't look good. Right. But mm-hmm. whenever you zoomed in and you were in a scene with the characters, generally those scenes were pretty well shot and looked good. Um, the music, you know, meh. music was mad to me. Um, if mm-hmm. you asked me to sing you one single line from it, I, I couldn't do it, you know. Um, there are some decent scenes with the kind of the dark sounding rock and roll, like you mentioned, but for the most part, just meh. And so uh, I guess at the end, it, it's really hard for me to review this movie. It, I know it sounds like I hated it, right? But I really didn't. I, I had fun watching it. I, I liked the story. I liked the characters. 
I liked the world that was created. Um, and I was interested. I was intrigued and I was, you know, really interested in the story. It's just that, you know, every so often I had to do a pretty hard eye roll. Well, let's just mark this episode as our best for, uh, what do you call those sayings? We got scoops of poop and, uh, Three-legged dogs. <laughs> yep. Three-legged dogs and poop scoops. Two scoops of greatness and then a scoop of poop. That's what and this a, movie is. A sour something on top of a... <laughs> I forgot that one, but anyway. So I get, I, I'm with you. Um, I think one of the reasons why it's so hard to review is that it is such a B-movie. But it has, it's not your traditional B-movie. Like, it's got Dolph Lundgren. It's got Keanu Reeves. It's got Mm -hmm. Ice-T. It's got uh, Henry Rollins. Like, it's got big-name people. And it was... I guess that's what I was trying to say when I said a B-movie with a big budget. Right? Like, it it looks and it feels and it smells like a B-movie. But... Mm. I don't the some of the effects looked really great and some of the actors are huge. It's just mm-hmm. I don't know. It's it's a kind of a mess. Yeah. And I didn't like the so the and the when you when you go on the internet it's almost like a if you remember the movie Lawnmower Man, like it's a lot of uh early 3D animation stuff. And that's a lot of what Johnny Mnemonic was when he goes into the internet. And I thought that was what pretty well done for the movie that it was in like so the the sticking with my good scoop bad scoop right the vr scenes the pure vr looked incredible i thought especially for 95 when we're when you're surfing the internet through vr and looking at things and doing stuff that was awesome but then when he actually went into vr and we see his avatar he looks like somebody drew a 3d stick man and put a suit on it and threw it out into digital space. Like it looked like, it looked like a 3d rendering of some Atari man or something. It was weird. Yeah. And I, I have to think that's on purpose just because Jones, who is the dolphin looked great. He did. He really did. (laughs) So I, I guess that was on purpose, but I don't know the reason why he looks because they blew all their budget on explosions in the dolphins. Sorry. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I enjoyed those scenes, but if we, if this was a, let's, let's say Johnny Mnemonic was made in the year 2020, you would have no street preacher. You would have no, um, weird lines. You wouldn't have any crazy VR. And I think that's what makes the movie special in a way. Some of my favorite scenes are with the street preacher, even though he's useless and pointless. Like I, I like watching him on screen and I like when he gets electrocuted to death and uh, his whole backstory of being made out of mostly cybernetic or synthetic parts. Like he's taking on jobs just to fund his body enhancements. Like that's a neat idea. Uh, They don't do anything with it, but still a neat idea. Yep. He gets run over by the turtle van, as you so eloquently put it. 
It looked like a and turtle then, van to me. <laughs> he gets run over and then he gets up and goes, Jesus. <laughs> uh, so let's talk about, um, we mentioned that this is the year 2021. And interestingly enough, the world, state of the world that we're in now, it's almost eerie how close this story is to our own. And that we we do have a lot of corporate involvement in our decision making as a world. We do currently have a virus or a disease that is plaguing the world, and there is no current cure for it. Mm-hmm. Just like just like this uh, NAS, which is nerve attenuation syndrome, aka the black shakes. The only the difference being that NAS is supposedly caused by all the technology that we have. And obviously the coronavirus is just a virus. Right. And, and they do say in the beginning that they don't know exactly what causes it. There's no cure and nobody knows what causes it. But Spider yeah. at one point speculates that it's technology that's doing it. Yeah. Uh, also, I want to throw in here real quick. When this, this movie first started, I thought they were saying the black snakes. And I was very confused why this virus was called the black snakes. It slithers into your body, man. You take that virus on the, you put it on some concrete and you light it on fire and a black snake comes out of it. <laughs> yeah. So some parallels there. Uh, I thought that was interesting. And the fact that it was 2021 and that we decided to watch this movie in the year 2021 mm-hmm. or this, this episode will come out in the year 2021. So this this virus or this they call it an epidemic NAS is what half of the world's population has, I believe, is what they said, mm-hmm. which is a lot. Uh, Jane, who is the secondary character, she's, I think, the one character that we know that has it. Mm-hmm. And at, there's at points that in the movie where she just starts convulsing and she can't control her body um, and she has to. Go to go see Spider to, to get things taken care of, which I don't, I'm not sure what they even did. I think he injected her with something. But. Mm. <clears throat> he gave her muscle relaxers and made her rest, I think. Um, we have the corporations that hire the Yakuza, the most toughest gang in the world. And so that's <laughs> who everybody goes with. <clears throat> and I, I don't know what it is. Like, it seems like futuristic sci-fi like this there's always this asian influence mm-hmm. and i think that's that's pretty interesting um you see it here um shows like um firefly mm-hmm. there's a lot of asian influence blade runner i think i had a little uh ghost in the shell of course that's a that's a manga or anime but anyway, I, th- I, think, I think maybe a lot of it comes from there's two two aspects of it, right? One is China's economic influence and how it's been growing over the years. Uh, that you know strongly points to a strong position in the future for that nation. Mm-hmm. And two, if you look at Japan, Japan has for a long time been kind of considered a technological leader of the world. Maybe not the technological leader, but a leader. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's what's pulling it in, right? You've got the technology side from Japan and the economic power and just sheer size of China. And when you look at a future, those two things tend to show up. 
Yeah. Yeah, I agree. That's that's a pretty good thought. Um, but I like, I enjoyed seeing them. Uh, you had the Yakuza leader, I forget his name, but he had the laser whip thing that came out of his thumb. Mm-hmm. Like, and there was at one point that he talks to. Well, I guess he's not the Yakuza, Yakuza leader. He's a he's a leader. He was the subordinate. Not, yeah, there were there were two main. Uh, Yakuza players. Uh, the first one was uh, Takashi. <laughs> Takashi was kind of the old man leader. And then there was Shinji. And Shinji was the subordinate to Takashi. But he he had aspirations of greatness. It was kind of a, a Sith kind of relationship, if you're familiar with Star Wars, right? There was the master and the apprentice. And the apprentice wants to surpass the master and, and kill him and take over. So it's yeah. kind of that kind of thing going on there. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, while we're on that real quick, Takashi was played by Takeshi Kitano and uh, Shinji was played by uh, Denise Akiyama. It might be Dennis Akiyama. Yeah. And Takashi was, I remember him most in uh, Battle Royale, the movie. He was the the teacher mm-hmm. in that movie. Uh, but anyway, the, the two guys meet and the guy, the subordinate, he has his thumb is missing and it's replaced with this cybernetic um and that's where his red laser fiber wire comes out or whatever yeah, it's kind of like a, a dental floss version of a lightsaber right yeah <laughs> it is he pulls it out oral b red laser but it has and, weight uh, it somehow has weight because he can fling it around and crack it like a whip and stuff mm-hmm. it's actually it's actually really cool visually amazing yeah uh but the leader mentioned he's like, it looks like I see you turned your shame into an asset or something. And so apparently he had his thumb cut off because he was being shamed. He did something mm-hmm. that he shouldn't have or whatever. They don't ever go into that, but that, that was the reason he had the laser whip thumb thing. So why don't we spend some time just kind of going through um some of our favorite scenes, some of the things that we like, some of the things that stood out is not great. And mm-hmm. uh, just kind of, you know, in the past, we've done the scene by scene breakdown. Um, thankfully, and, and a big thank you to those of you who have done this. We've gotten some feedback and it seems like that segment's not very popular. So uh, the idea then is uh, we're going to replace that by just kind of talking about some of our favorite scenes, our least favorite scenes and just generally having conversation about the film. So uh, here's here's something I wanted to talk about. Uh, this what's the time frame of this movie? We, um, <laughs> you know, we find out in the beginning when he gets he gets the data loaded into his head. And um, for those of you who who haven't seen the movie and are still listening, the the general premise, real real short, uh, Johnny is a he's a data carry courier. I say carrier because it's easier to say. But what he is, is he's kind of a a smuggler that has an implant in his brain in which he will upload uh, protected data. And he will then personally walk the data to a location where it will be downloaded. Uh, The data is locked into his head with a password that he doesn't know. And so the only way to get it out of his head is for him to get to his destination and the people at that other location have the password and they pull it out of him. He has a memory capacity of uh, 60 gigs, I think. 
And he winds up using a memory doubler so that he can kind of overclock his memory and uh, get it up to 180 gigs. Um, and then what he winds up doing is in this movie, he loads 360 gigs, which puts him in mortal danger. And essentially what this means is that if he doesn't get the data out of his head in 24 hours, he will die. And so he goes to deliver this data and he gets into a whole bunch of trouble, right? Uh, that's the general premise. In terms of the time frame, where I get confused, he, he starts in Beijing, which is where he gets the data, and then he has to go to Newark. So he gets on a plane, and when he gets on the plane, he's scanned, and they're like, I guess when he gets off the plane. So he, gets, he flies from Beijing to Newark. We don't know how long that's going to take. But when he gets off of the plane in Newark, he gets scanned, by the security system there. And they're like, you have 24 hours to live, go seek medical help now. And from that point forward, he he's going. So, I mean, how long does it take to fly from Beijing to Newark? Right? Like probably half a day. 12 to 15 hours, maybe. Yeah. And so you're talking this whole, this whole movie takes place in 12 hours, I guess. And he takes three naps. It's I'm so confused about the time frame of this movie. <laughs> well, I, I I think from that standpoint, it's one of those you don't want to think about it too much. However, they do at least if you notice near the end, they change his makeup to where he's looking pretty haggard. Like he's got dark circles around his eyes. He's a little paler. Like he's been clearly he's been through some stuff. Yeah, um, he's hurt. But yeah. But time frame wise, they yeah, it's kind of muddy. There's not really uh, there's no real indication of how long he since since he got the data uploaded, how long he it has been until he gets to the uh, low tech headquarters. Right. And I mean, my my main thing was it felt like it was a lot longer than it should have been. Yeah. And, and I think in the beginning of the movie, they said you've got 48 hours, actually. But yes, um, even if you if you take 48 hours and then you, you take 15 off of that, I mean, you've got like a day and a half to mm -hmm. do all this entire movie took place in a day and a half. <laughs> and that, that feels like a little bit of a stretch, although, you know, you never really see it daytime outside either that I can remember. So I, yeah. I don't know. I'm. I'm just really confused on the timeline. <laughs> uh, what you just said does. It almost reinforces the reason there's so much in the movie because they have it's It is on a timetable. And so things have to move quickly in order for him to survive. Yeah. Um, but still, like there, there are a lot of things they could have dropped. For instance, um, the whole Jane subplot and the whole romance angle. Yeah. Yeah. It was long enough for Jane and Johnny to get all smoochy. Apparently. <laughs> yeah. That, uh, that scene seemed just unnecessary. Uh, like we've seen it done like RoboCop. We, we did a whole series on RoboCop. There could have been a love angle in those movies, but there wasn't between Lewis and Murphy. There's no reason that Jane and Johnny had to uh, kiss or do anything. Uh, they could have just been companions or they 
she had a goal and she was trying to help him uh, obtain his goal because she knew it was important and that could have been the end of it. But we had to had to have those scenes for some reason. I mean, it wasn't bad. It was just a little unbelievable that, you know, in this short time frame, these two people who were business partners go from, you know, if you don't pay me your my money, then I'm going to stay with you until, you know, I get my money or you die to, oh, come here, baby. Smooch, <laughs> smooch, you know. Uh, the, I'd like to go back to the Yakuza, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, I like their, I like the visual design. I agree with you that, you know, they could have hired anybody under the sun uh, to guard and protect. Um, the Yakuza seem to not hire the best. Yeah, yeah uh, I would say. You've got, uh, I think his, I don't know what his actual name was, but Baldy was what uh, he was called in the movie. Mm-hmm. But he was the the white uh, Yakuza member, the one that tracks down Johnny in the rubble uh, beneath the low-tech headquarters. Mm-hmm. And you know there uh, there was one other white yakuza too, yeah. That was a little uh, crazy. Mm-hmm. Do you know which one I'm talking about? Um, give me more info. I'm, I'm blanking. All right. Uh, at the very end, whenever the yakuza are attacking the bridge in their little stealth special ops unit or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, a car accidentally gets dropped from the bridge. And it lands on one of the Yakuza members. And this lady who's billed as Yakuza with rocket launcher, and it's played by a girl named Lynn Adams, just goes nuts. She's like, they killed my buddy. And then she pulls this rocket launcher and just starts just blowing everything up with this thing. And I'm like, calm down, lady. Oh, my gosh. It it was a little uh, a little intense. The uh, Yakuza entries, entry standards have dropped significantly. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> it was, it was a little nuts. So Johnny, Johnny has 80 gigabytes of data storage. He doubles it to 160. This is his last run. Mm-hmm. He wants yep. to, he, he's working with his agent, Ralphie, and he's trying to get his memories back. And he says, I'll do this last run. And then I, I want my memories back. I'm done. So he goes to the site and they say, hey, just kidding. It's going to be 320 gigabytes of data. And he goes, all right. Do you feel like he was, do you think it was just an act of desperation? Like he was done or is he really that like reckless? It's hard to say, right? Like, like you're saying, it started out. He wanted to, he wanted to get out of the game. He wanted to get it removed. And then, you know, I guess that's part of the character transformation is he starts to realize that not, not necessarily is this entire thing up to him and about him, mm-hmm. but that transformation really doesn't happen until the movie's almost over. Right. So there's always this selfish part of him, but then, I don't know. It, it's hard because he's like a professional, right? This isn't his first rodeo. You can tell exactly. by the way he escapes from that 
that uh, room where he gets the data in the first place. You know, he puts that disguise on and just leaves and uh, doesn't miss a beat. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know. That's exactly when I was watching it. I was like, he seems like a professional. He's he knows how to guard doors. Like he's got motion detectors on the doors. Mm-hmm. He's got to go out the stuff. window after that one explosion, by the way. Yeah. After that, he just kind of goes nuts. Yep. Yeah. He's clearly knows martial arts. He's, he knows how to defend himself. He's the way it's depicted. He's been through some stuff. He knows how to handle himself, mm-hmm. but to overload his, his hard drive in his head. Which he know, I assume he knows, like that causes seepage or whatever they call it. Mm-hmm. Like that's, I guess he was, I guess he knew he he thought he could make it from A to B in the time frame. He knew it, twenty four to forty eight hours, and as long as he had the backup codes or the decryption codes, he could have gotten it out and would have been fine. But obviously, things t- took a turn for the worse. Yeah, uh, maybe he was desperate. Maybe he was overconfident. Uh, it's hard to tell, right? The, the way he acted, he had done something similar before and been fine, but probably not to that scale. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard to tell, right? It's probably a combination of overconfidence and desperation. But maybe he was just like, I don't care anymore. Like, but that that can't be right because he he gets worried about dying through the whole movie. So, yeah, I guess that's what I'm going with. There's a, a combination of arrogance and desperation. That's that's probably accurate. Of course, you know, he also probably thought it was just going to be a regular job. He didn't know what the data was. He didn't know who was giving it to him. He knew nothing. Right. Just pick it up, deliver it and you're done. So let's um, let's talk a little bit about the the preacher. Because you seem to really like the street preacher played by Dolph Lundgren. And I seem to really not like that character. What what do you think about him in general? I mean, I agree with you that he de- he serves no real purpose in the movie other than to be cool looking and uh, mysterious and sort of a, a foil for Johnny in, cert- in a certain way. Like he's almost the. It's like they felt like they had to have a bad guy, but they already had the Yakuza, so that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But anyway. I just like that when he's they're introducing him, he's like, they're like, oh, there's the street preacher. He's he's a bad mofo. Like he he has no almost no human parts. Like he's been re- replacing his body over the years, and uh, he just takes on jobs and acts like he's holier than thou. But he takes on jobs to replace his his human parts. Why why do you think they gave him the the overly pious persona? That I don't I don't even know. Um other than maybe they thought it was an interesting aesthetic. Right. Uh, I just for the I contradiction maybe. Yeah. Like he's he's a walking synthetic being, but he's talking about the scripture and Jesus and all that stuff, which seems a little extremely contradictory, but. Right. I mean, that may be the whole point of it is, you know, maybe they were making a statement or something, but 
I don't know. That that whole character left a bad taste in my mouth. I, I agree with you that he was really interesting. Uh, and and mm-hmm. I, I almost would have liked to have seen a separate movie where he's the, the big bad and we're going up against him. But as mm-hmm. he was, as just kind of this side character. Uh, I don't I don't know. He was weird. It was like he was just there for some extra gory action scenes, you know? Yeah. Well, that's the B movie part of it, in my opinion. Like that's you wouldn't have that character in a big budget triple A movie like they would have. They would have cut that real quick. Yeah. You'd, you'd have seen you'd have seen his scenes in the in the extra features. And, you know, uh, I think the movie probably would have been a lot better if they had just kind of skipped the Yakuza, just had them calling the shots and nobody else. Right. And then day one, they're like, OK, street preacher, go get this guy. And then it became a cat and mouse between them and him. Mm-hmm. But as it played out, the Yakuza were not only calling the shots, but they were going in, too. And it just became a confusing mess, you know, like you're, you're sitting there and we're fighting the Yakuza. And then all of a sudden, oh, wait, no, we're fighting the preacher. And then it's like, oh, no, it's the Lotex fighting the Yakuza. And then, oh, the, I don't know. It's just a mess. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree with you. I just, I guess it's the visual thing. And then the whole idea of his backstory, my brain started working and I was like, I wonder how he started, like how he decided he wanted to start replacing his body parts and got this uh, Bible angle and became the street preacher. And uh, what about that ending? What do you think about that? Uh, which part? The VR part or the? Well, the, just the whole the ending in general. And I guess you can say from the time Johnny goes up into heaven which mm-hmm. heaven is the name of the low tech headquarters for confused listeners uh, <laughs> to the time the credit rolls. Cause a lot happens in that, in that final scene or set yeah, of scenes. I mean, they're attacked by the Yakuza. Uh, Johnny figures out that Jones is a dolphin mm-hmm. <laughs> and is apparently really smart and is jacked into the internet. Uh, Johnny figures out he's got to hack his own brain and loop his loop the feed of his data through Jones so that Jones can transmit it to the world. Not confusing. <laughs> it um, was man. It, it was, there was so much going on in there. Yeah. I liked most of it. Um, I agree. I mean, it's back. It's one of those things where it was half B movie, half good movie kind of thing. Like, a lot of several of the scenes were really good. Like when he's putting on that headpiece and going into the internet and going to hack his own brain, like that looked a lot like the matrix. Mm-hmm. And I got, I got a lot of matrix vibes from the movie and I imagine there was some influence oh, yeah. by this movie. Um, that, that was good. The lawnmower man stuff where his body was all stretched and weird. Like that was kind of weird. He basically creates a double of himself and the virus attacks the double. And then J bones like, Oh, he's okay. It got the double. And I was like, how does he know that he got the double? Like, mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a good question. <laughs> um, so it, it, there was, it was overly stuffed. Like there was a lot going on. <laughs> Um, yeah, right. 
So, I mean, you've got you've got Johnny in there. He, he's going to go ahead and try to get the data out of his brain, even though it might kill him. He sits down. He gets going. The Yakuza send in their stealth crew. Uh, they start attacking. They drop uh, the low techs drop a car. Bazooka lady starts going nuts with bazookas. Things start blowing up. Johnny gets knocked out of the chair with an incomplete code. I think they get one image and not the other one. Right. Uh, while the Yakuza are fighting, all of a sudden Takeshi shows up and he's like, ah, I've got you now. And then this ghost in the machine lady who we can talk about in a minute just shows up on the video screen somehow. And he's like, you know, Pharmacom had the cure all the time, all this time. And your daughter, she died from the NAS virus when they could have saved her and you shouldn't do this. And he's like, no, I have to do this. And then he gets shot by, uh, but it, I can't remember his name. Shinji. Shinji shows up and just shoots him down. And then Shinji's like, ah, it's laser rope time. And so he starts <laughs> fighting. They, Johnny and him start fighting all over the place. Uh, Jane is fighting off all the other Yakuza goons, which there were only like four that went up. But all of a sudden there's 1800 in the base. <laughs> She's fighting them off. And, and then all of a sudden the preacher shows up. We don't know how he got up there. But he's just like, oh, Jesus. And then he starts attacking her. Johnny takes out Shinji by cutting his head off and then gets back up into the room and is like, "Okay, now we're going to see the preacher versus Johnny. But then, no, Takashi's not dead. And he shows up and he's like, ah, and Johnny's like, oh, no. And then Shinji's like, here's the last of the code or here's the second image. That's what it is. That's how he gets the second image. He's like, here you go. And then he dies. (laughs) <laughs> and then Johnny sees freaking uh, street preacher like trying to crucify Jane and they get into a fight and the dolphin attacks the street preacher and then they electrocute him and he goes up in flames. It's just like, oh, my gosh, it's just it keeps going. Like <laughs> it, It's it's entertaining, but mm-hmm. it's just such a mess. Yeah, I think that's a pretty good. uh synopsis it's entertaining but it's a mess yeah so just a little thing for the for the listeners who haven't seen the movie um we it, we find out that the data that johnny's carrying in his head is actually all of the research and development from a company named pharmacon at pharmacom and they have come up with the cure for nas like months ago and a, a group of defecting scientists who worked for pharmacom got that data smuggled out and they wanted to send it to the low techs so when Johnny gets to the low techs, they still don't have a code, but they've got this dolphin named Jones who can was a submarine breaker for the Navy, I guess. And the dolphin is able to hack in and get the information. And the low techs want to broadcast this data to the world so that it's not private and everyone has access to the cure so it can be made shared. I had a little thing, which was uh, apparently they still have VCRs that they use in the future. Because J-Bone gets on the on the TV and he says... Set your VCRs to record, people. We're about to blast this <laughs> out to everybody. I didn't catch the VCR part. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So not so prophetic in that way. I think people still have VCRs. I may still have one around here, but I don't think they're uh, in full use. No, not anymore. In 95, though, they were still around. Yep. Um. Let's talk about Jones. Uh, Jones. Jones the dolphin. 
it's pretty weird, but also kind of cool. Yeah, I thought Jones uh, was was pretty neat. Yeah, he's got this uh, cybernetic thing on his head or around his eyes or whatever, and he's in a large fish tank or aquarium, basically. It's not really and that large. I mean, it's large enough just for him to fit in it, but he can't really swim around. And the, the low techs are, I guess they uh, kidnapped him or rescued him from this uh, being the submarine hacker breaker thing or whatever. Um, and decided to use him to uh, do stuff on the Internet. <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of confusing as to how exactly they smuggled Jones up into heaven, which heaven is a it's located on a bridge that the Lotex had claimed. Um, But I thought the idea was cool. Um, Mm -hmm. I liked how he could attack, uh, I guess, cybernetics in general. Um, I'm guessing he was using like some sort of an EMP wave or something, but it's never really explained what he's got. It was neat that he could attack. And I thought it was cool that he essentially lives in VR now. I thought that was neat. At least that's the vibe I got. He, he's in this tank and he can't swim. But if you go into his head and you go into the Internet, he's he's just kind of swimming around out there. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And, I've you know, they've said that in real life that dolphins are very smart. And so it sort of makes sense that they would use a dolphin to uh, mm-hmm. help them with Stuff like that. Oh, there, there's records out there of dolphins being trained and used by the military. Yeah. Like that's a thing that's actually happened. Not actually cybernetic hacking and software scanning, but like recon and things like that. So it, it seems silly just from the outset, but, but it kind of makes sense. Yep. Exactly like this movie, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. it's, a, it's a really cool concept, but they didn't really think it through that well, I don't think. But such a great idea. I thought that was cool. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, something else that got me was Spider. You know, he tries to help Johnny. He he works on getting the data out. He takes him to his, you know, their house and works on him there. And then he takes him to the hospital and tries it there. And then when he gets attacked by the preacher, he's like, take him to Jones. It's his only hope. Why? Why didn't he just go to Jones in the first place? Like he he we find out pretty quickly that Spider knew the whole time that he had the cure in his head. And if it was that important and you had to take him to the low techs anyway, why not just take him to the low techs? Yeah, it was it was very uh, roundabout. Like he goes. Sorry. He goes to Spider at first uh, because Jane is having the shakes. Right. Like she needs help. And so. He's. At first, he's like, if you, I don't know, you get out. And he's like, Jane needs help. So they go in, takes care of him. And then he's talking to Spider about his problem. And he agrees to basically scan him or whatever. He knew about, uh, was this before or after Johnny hacked the internet and found out about the fax machine message before they met Spider? I think it was before. Uh, we meet Spider because we see Spider with Jane, but Johnny doesn't meet Spider until he takes her there. And yeah, the, the hack happens before that. Okay. So he finds out about the message that says, Dr. All come. And that's when Spider knew he was like, that's the message that they 
that doctors say when there's a problem patient. They say, doctor, all come to room six or whatever. And so that's how he knew that that was the stuff that in Johnny's head was meant for the NAS underground. And that's what Spider is a part of. And that's how everybody knows who Spider is, apparently. Right. But yeah, I don't know why he didn't immediately say, we need to get to Jones, we need to get this out of his head, and go. But they didn't. So what did you think about Spider as a character? He was okay. I mean, he Henry Rollins is not my favorite actor anyway. Mm. But <laughs> he was he was funny in some scenes. Um I thought he played the part acceptably, acceptably, adequately. Um he was a pretty important character as far as the plot goes. Mm-hmm. Um he just didn't do a whole lot. And then he then he died. <laughs> yes, he did. I I personally which I should preface this with saying I really like Henry Rollins. I don't know why, but everything he's in, like I see him and I'm like, oh, this just got better because Henry Rollins is in it. And mm. I can't explain why I like I'm like that. Actually, I probably can, but it, it might be a little embarrassing. I mean, there's this is the perfect time to do it. Yeah, right. There, There's a movie out there that I love, and it might generally be considered not a great movie. So that might be a good target for me because it would flip us and John's perspectives on things typically, such as with Beetlejuice. <laughs> but it's called it's called The Chase. Are you familiar with it? Uh, this isn't the movie with, uh, uh, Martin Sheen or not Martin Sheen, Charlie uh, Sheen, Charlie Sheen. Yes, it is. It's, it's oh. a movie that I takes like place. Chase. The entire movie is a car chase. Like it, mm-hmm. that you've got like five minutes. That's not a car chase. And the rest of it is just a long car chase. I love that movie. And I loved yeah. Henry Rollins character in that. And ever since then, every time I've seen Henry Rollins, I've been like, yes, it's Henry Rollins. Let's go. <laughs> Uh, that might make a good movie to put on our to watch list because I really yep. I love that movie and I haven't seen it in a long time. But uh, back on the character, I I really I thought he was awesome. I thought he was neat. Uh, I was a, it was a little weird that he was this big influential guy and he lived in a hole and drove a turtle van. But it was neat that, you know, he had all this information. He was doing all of these kind of side modifications and everything. And um. I don't know. I, I really liked that character. It was one of my favorites. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, speaking of that, we haven't talked a whole lot about Jane, who is really the secondary character in the movie, mm-hmm. played by Dina Mayer. Um, mm-hmm. Did you think she was adequate? Oh, yeah. I thought she was great. Uh, I didn't really understand the romance link like we talked about. Mm-hmm. Um but uh, I thought her acting was kind of above the average of this movie. Um, she did. I don't know if she, it was her or a stunt double, but the action scenes she was in were pretty solid. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, Keanu and, and a lot, in a lot of Keanu's work, you see this, he, he plays kind of an emotionless character, kind of flat. Yep. And uh, I, I have to imagine it would be hard 
to play against that, him being a known star. At 95, he was he was known. Mm-hmm. And to have to play against that um, as not necessarily a known actress, that had to be intimidating and it had to be difficult. And, and I think she, given those circumstances and the character she had, I think she did really well. Yeah, I thought she was fine. Um, she was not horrible at all. Um, she did good for what she was given. Um, I liked the visual, like she had this like chain mail shirt on that was pretty cool. And she clearly had work done, uh, synthetic enhancements to make her stronger, faster, better. Uh, but that came as a price. She developed the NAS disease. And so from time to time she has, uh, uncontrollable spasms that she can't deal with and has to get medical attention. Uh, I, like, as I said in my review, I think it's disappointing that they set up the subplot of her, uh, trying to be strong, trying to be the best at what she does. And then she's sort of, she's still, you know, she's still in the foreground, but compared to Johnny's story, she kind of takes backseat. Um, and then she becomes the love interest. So I, if the movie was a bit longer and they had taken out some of this stuff, like we talked about, like the preacher and some of the unnecessary scenes, they probably could have fleshed her backstory out a little bit more and uh, done some cool things with her. Yeah. Um, something I just saw that's kind of interesting is that she was basically that was her first cinematic movie. She had been in a made for TV movie prior to that. And then she was on a couple of episodes of Beverly Hills, 90210. And then aside from that straight to second lady on Johnny mnemonic, which that (laughs) was a pretty huge role. And uh, you might be interested to know that she later, uh, about two years later, in fact, wound up being in starship troopers. Yeah, she was the uh, mm-hmm. one of the Dizzy Flores was her yeah. character's name. Yeah, she wasn't the the smart one. She was the kind of rough and tumble military one. Uh, she That's played the, in Saw one, two, and three, and four. So she had a pretty big role in Saw moving into the two thousands. Hmm. Uh, do we have any other topics before we get into the Spice Awards? Nope, I think I'm about covered. Anything from you? I don't think so. And in that case, why don't you play that sound clip, John? The Spice Awards. Oh, that's right. music to my ears. <laughs> All right. We've got... It's been so long since I've heard that. It's just... I know. It's like it's been months. We've got six Spice Awards tonight. Best actor, most underrated performance, best scene, best line, worst line, and best character design. Uh, best actor, I had to go with none other than Keanu Reeves. Just what's the deal here? Johnny Boy. Johnny Boy, my ass, what's the fucking score here? I'm way overloaded, man. <laughs> you would not believe how much. You told me you got upgraded. Yeah, yeah, I did. I got the goods, Ralphie. Now I just want to get them out of my head. Did they get the code out? Don't worry. 
they say they can extract. Extract? Ex... What's going on, Ralphie? This feels like a blown deal, man. You say you have to get the data out. They are the only ones who can do it. There's no other choice. Trust me. I will tell the driver where to take you. Yeah, sure. Just because, I mean, he has the most lines. <laughs> it's true. He does. <laughs> it's only it's only because he has the most lines. Uh, no, I'm I love Keanu Reeves. And I, I mentioned that sometimes I wonder how he got so popular in Hollywood. But really, I, I like his unemotional delivery of in a lot of films. He was perfect for this movie. I can't think of anybody else that could have done it and made and pulled it off. Um, he had, as I mentioned, he has a, this rant in the movie that is really great. Um, hint, hint, it might be my favorite line. Uh, I just, I just like him. And, uh, there's really not any other contender for this, for me in this movie. Fair enough. I, um, you know, I didn't think he did that great. Honestly, <laughs> I love Keanu too. But uh, I felt like his acting in this movie wasn't prime Keanu acting. Hit me. Um, yeah. He, I need a computer. I, I guess I know he's capable of more than what he gave in that. But um, given our options, yeah, I can see it as a choice. <laughs> okay. Well, what did you go with? <laughs> uh, my decision was... Uh, Dina Meyer playing Jane. Spider, I need to get some work. About these episodes you've been having, I want to get you back to the shop for some tests. Hey, are you listening? No more playing, Doctor, remember? Oh, that's not what I meant. Look at them. They must be the oldest bodyguards in town. I'm twice as fast as they are. I'm not worried about your speed. I'm worried about your nervous system, especially if you want to continue being a bodyguard. Um, okay. And for the same reasons I've already talked about, you know, I think playing in the, with the recognition that she had at that time, playing with these big stars like, you know, Dolph Lundgren and Keanu Reeves, Ice-T, uh, I think she held her own and more. Uh, she brought some of the only emotion the film had, right? Like there was her and Spider and everyone else seemed kind of emotionally dead, except for the crazy street preacher who was just crazy. Um, you know, she she played this spazzed out bodyguard that wanted to prove herself. And I think she did pretty good, especially given, you know, where she was at that time in her career. And the action. I got to give her points for the action. I, again, I don't know if it was a stunt double or not, but if it was her, the, her action scenes were great. It, uh, it kind of reminded me of uh, the RoboCop films with Lewis. You know, it was just a, a strong female character with no no apologies. You know, it, it wasn't slammed in your face. It's just she's awesome. And here she is. You know, I, I appreciated that. I did like that about it, that she was the strong female lead. If they had not done the romantic angle, it would have been even better. But mm. uh, it was so good. Yeah. And uh, I enjoyed I enjoyed her performance. Not best actor material, but uh, 
It's okay. <laughs> As okay. if Keanu was. <laughs> Don't you talk bad about Keanu Reeves. I love him, but you have to admit, sometimes Counter doesn't always bring his A game. We'll put, I'll put it that way. All right. Best actor for me was Keanu Reeves. Best actor for Matt was Dina Meyer as Jane. Most underrated performance? You're going to love this one. I went with Dolph Lundgren as the preacher. They air in vision, they stumble in judgment. For all the tables are full of vomit and filthiness. So that there is no place clean. You should have seen it before. Isaiah. Isaiah? Mine's hooky. took Ralphie's boy out of the back room. Uh, Who is she? You expect me to remember half the shit? Maybe. Maybe. From a pure acting perspective, I can see it. I really can't. The acting that he did wasn't that bad. Yeah. It's just I the think, character was trash. <laughs> yeah. And they even called him trash at the end of the movie. They did. If you uh, if you've listened to our podcast before, I think you generalized our rule of thumb, or at least my rule of thumb with underrated performance. If a character comes on the screen and I'm automatically more interested in the movie, then that's a pretty good indicator that and that and they were not like the main part of the movie then that's mm-hmm. a pretty good indicator for me for most underrated performance. So I wanted to know more about him once they introduced him. He carries a Bible around acting like a preacher, but he's not. He's got all synthetic parts. He's trying to replace his entire body with uh, synthetic parts. Um, I just think that whole thing was cool. His death scene was great. And as cheesy as it was, the part where his charred body starts moving, I was like, oh, He's going to get up and they're going to have like a, a second battle. Uh, but no, they were just using a forklift. You know, See, well. I had an entirely different reaction for that. When when that started moving, that's when my eyes started rolling. I was like, <laughs> oh, my gosh, really? Like we've had all this happen already in this ending, which I already went into. And now we're going to have another fight with, you know, Terminator looking street preacher. Now that that would have been good, but no, it didn't. It was not fated to happen. Uh, for me, I went with um, good old Udo Kier, who played Ralphie. Charlie, they were waiting for me, Ralphie. Two big nasty men. Johnny, please let me explain. Johnny, you set me up, my friend. Johnny, it's not my fault. It's been a screw up. You're dead. You don't get this batch of product out of my head. Not on the head. Don't tell me you hit him on the head. 
Oh, we didn't talk about him much. Mm-mm. I, I, you know, I thought the character that he played was great. He, uh, you know, he was this kind of behind the scenes, pulling the strings kind of spider character. Um, he was he was arrogant and he was a little bit prissy, but mm-hmm. uh, he was also really smart and he was dangerous. Mm-hmm. And uh, anytime he came on and was doing his, you know, his performance on screen, I was like, "Ooh, I'm interested in this guy. This is interesting. Uh, his cockiness and his just, I don't know, his cold demeanor uh, was was really great to me. So, um, you know, like I said, he, every scene he was in, I kind of focused on him and just kind of watched his character to see what he would do. And yeah. uh, so I've I've got to give him props for that. I, I thought he did great. Plus, I, I really like him as an actor, too, which helps. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I like him a lot. I, we should have talked more about him during the review, but he is uh, Johnny's agent. And he's this skeezy, underhanded two-faced guy who's got... He comes across as sincere, right? Yeah. Particularly at first. It's all an act. <laughs> right. <clears throat> um, and he's got these uh, female bodyguards that have been buffed up, so, sort of like Jane. And... Uh, yeah, apparently that's a thing in this world. Uh, ladies get all these cybernetic enhancements and they're really, really fast and strong in that they then sell their services as bodyguards. Which is kind of quirky but but cool mm-hmm. um and of course ralphie ends up backstabbing johnny and ralphie meets his end at the hands of a laser whip it's sliced in half a couple of times yep very very good pick uh um Dolph lundgren as the preacher or the street preacher was my pick matt's pick was udo kier as ralphie for most underrated performance. Best scene. My best or favorite scene is when Johnny is hacking the internet. I need a Sinologic 16, Sogo 7 data gloves, a GPL stealth module, one Burdine intelligent translator, and Thompson iPhones. Making a long-distance phone call. Beijing Hotel. Beijing selected. Hmm. He, they find a computer store or something, and he says, I need a such-and-such such 5,000 and a wired Ethernet blah, 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 and a judo chop. And he gets <laughs> a judo chop. He puts on this headset, which looks very much like a VR headset that we have today. 
and he uses these gloves and that's his interface. And he go, he shoots himself into the internet and he's hacking stuff by folding stuff over and using his hands. It's very Iron Man too. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, you know, makes calls and he joins a blog or not a blog, a, a board, a board. And it was all really cool, really well done. Um, Keanu Reeves was, is the only person that could have pulled that off. In my opinion. Yeah. Um, I don't know that I'd go that far, but um, I will say that was a really cool scene. Right. That's where you see one of the, you know, the, the VR in that scene with the internet and the way he's moving through it and everything. It, it's really cool. When he's on the board and he's threatening the owner of the board, he does like a claw motion and his hands, his fingers turn. I'll into take like, this board down right <laughs> here, right now. I can, you no, know, Johnny. I can do it from here. <laughs> That's my livelihood. <laughs> Good stuff. Yeah. Um, for me, I, I kind of had a, a hard time picking this um, because the the movie's so spastic that it's hard to single out a single scene. Um, but the the one I wound up picking at or picking. As or I guess picking, I know there's not a word after picking there. The one that I wound up picking uh, is a scene that initially made me roll my eyes, and I will admit that. Okay, uh, and that's when Johnny had his meltdown under the bridge. What the fuck is going on? You know, all my life I've been careful to stay in my own corner. Looking up for number one, no complications. Now suddenly, I'm responsible for the entire fucking world. And everybody and his mother is trying to kill me if, if my head doesn't blow up first. Maybe it's not just about you anymore. Listen, you listen to me. You see that city over there? That's where I'm supposed to be. Not down here with the dogs and the garbage and the fucking last what's newspapers blowing back and forth. I've had it with them. I've had it with you. I've had it with all this. I want room service. I want the club sandwich. I want the cold Mexican beer. I want a $10,000 a night hooker. I want my shirts laundered. Like they do at the Imperial Hotel. In Tokyo. Mm-hmm. Uh... So Johnny and Jane pull up in Spider's car right after Spider gets killed by the street preacher. And they're trying to get the attention of the low techs. And that's when we see, you know, Abbott and Costello up there and they (laughs) drop a blow up car on top of Spider's van and blows it up. And when that happens, Keanu just freaks out. Right now, he's no Johnny Cage, so it wasn't like a Johnny Cage freak out. It was, he just goes on this monologue where he just starts complaining. And he's like, you know, I, I should be there in the city, not out here. 
Like, I want fresh pressed clothes. I want room service, <laughs> room service. And he's just going on and on. And then as he goes, he gets louder and then he starts to fall off and he gets quieter and he just kind of sits and he's just feeling sorry for himself. And that's when Jane tries to comfort her. him. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he'd been he'd been real stone faced and, and emotionless prior to this. But at this point. It finally just it spills over and he blows up and he just goes off. And. man, you know, at first I was like, oh, my gosh, really? Like, come on, man. Like, let's get with this. But then I got to thinking about it and I started turning that scene over and I realized exactly what was going on. You know, that that's what was happening. He, he was in over his head. He didn't ask for this. He thought it was a routine job. He just wants to get out and be free and be done with all this mess. And he gets pulled into the biggest just cluster of all time, you know, and he doesn't want to be here and everything's going wrong for him. And he's just letting it go. And uh, I will say that while I've been kind of hating on uh, Keanu's acting in this film, this was the best acted scene in the movie. Mm-hmm. I, I think he did amazing with it. Uh, it. It came across as cheesy at first glance, but when you really think about that scene, I, I think it's the best scene in the movie. All right. So skipping ahead a little bit, and I just realized that maybe I was cheating a bit, but this is my best line is that scene. <laughs> I can see why that, that whole monologue is great. Yeah. yeah I, I love it. And I'm not going to repeat it because it is quite long and there's a lot of F-bombs, but I'll put a a little uh, sound clip in there for it. But I agree. Like, you could say, if this didn't happen, you could say, well, Keanu Reeves, he was a complete emotionless drone the entire movie. There was no reason to even watch him. He was boring. But he was doing that on purpose because he was a professional. He was a man that had it together and he just reached his breaking point and it just yes. took a while. Like it took a while for that to happen, but when it happened, it happened and he, uh, he had had enough. And that rant was indicator that he was, he was done. Yeah. And I mean, at first glance, like it feels like just like a toddler having a tantrum, you know, but if you take into context all that he's been through and how he's been holding it all in this whole time and he finally just can't anymore and he lets it loose. When, when you think about that in context of the scene itself, it really becomes powerful, in my opinion. And yeah, yeah I love it. Hands down. My favorite scene. <clears throat> and then they don't go into this in the movie, but can you imagine having a hard drive in your head that has 160 gigabyte space and having 320 gigabytes in it? <laughs> migraines it's probably like the worst migraine you've ever experienced times 10 yeah that was a little um i was a little confused at that you know because you and i we both work in tech and you just you can't put 360 (laughs) gigs on 180 gig uh drive it just doesn't work yeah and so that implies that that chip isn't just a hard drive but it's an entire neural interface that works with his brain and in fact, I guess they kind of hint with that because he had to lose memories mm-hmm. in order for them to put it in. So I wish they would have talked a little bit more about kind of how that works. All we really get is what a wet implant, I think is what they call it. And that he has to lose the memories. 
Yeah. Wet wired. Yeah. Yeah. I call it hard drive just because it's easier to say than neural neural network implants or whatever. But wet wired neural imp- <laughs> neural <laughs> implant. I don't yeah. know. But yeah, I agree. And, and, you know, there's that one point where spiders scanning him and spiders just like, man, you've got to be hurting. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I'll manage <laughs> or whatever he says. Uh, awesome. Uh, so my favorite scene is when Johnny is hacking the Internet. Matt's favorite scene is when Johnny has his rant near the end of the movie, which is also my best line. So, Matt. What is your best line? Uh, my best line. This is another one I had a hard time with. I, I didn't want to pick that whole monologue, so I didn't. Nothing. Nothing against you choosing it. Um, so for me, I went with when Johnny and Spider are are kind of talking right after he drops off Jane. Uh, Johnny looks at him and or Johnny's kind of explaining, you know, how are you with neural implants? Just looking. Don't touch anything. Who the fuck are you anyway? Johnny. Johnny who? Just Johnny. It looks like a full service shop here. How are you on brain implants? Silicon implants, neural overlays, memory augmentation. We don't get much of that out here in Newark, just Johnny. Kind of upscale for us, you know? Mine in Singapore. Oh, yeah? What's your deal, Just Johnny? I got this problem. Up here. And uh, they get kind of, he's like, oh, we don't see much of that down here in Newark. You know, it's a little uh, above our scale. And then Spider looks at him and goes, who the F are you anyway? (laughs) And uh, he looks at Spider and he goes, Johnny. Spider's (laughs) like, Johnny who? And he goes, Just Johnny. And then for the rest of the film, Spider calls him just Johnny. <laughs> and I think that's why I picked this line is because it's a lead into a running gag that I, I enjoyed. Yep. No, that's a good one. I I'd kind of forgotten about that one, but that's a great scene. Well, just Johnny. He does for the rest of the movie. He's like, come on, just Johnny. <laughs> Get in the truck. Just Johnny, whatever. <laughs> Worst line. Uh, I already mentioned this one, but, and this is a line I used to say a lot as a kid. I thought it was great. You weren't on the menu, but I want you to do something for me. Do? Yes. Say bye. Uh, but when you really think about the delivery and who was saying it and how it kind of played out, it's pretty bad. But it's when, uh, the Baldy, I guess his name is Baldy. He's one of the Yakuza members. He gets to jump on J-Bone, who is Ice-T, and he says, I want you to do something for me. And then J-Bone says, do. And then uh, Baldy says, yes, say bye. And it, it doesn't end well for Baldy, but it's pretty cringeworthy. Yep. I think right after that, Johnny takes him out. Yep. That's the end of Baldy. Which, you know, speaking of, that scene was interesting because, you know, what you've got is Johnny fighting that first group of Yakuza who have been tailing him or whatever, however they find him. I don't remember. Oh, that's what it was. It was a setup. He goes in to deliver the data and finds out it's a setup and they want to cut off his head and put it in liquid nitrogen. Yep. 
and uh, J Bone and this other low tech are up on like the third floor watching all this go down, and they're just mm-hmm. watching. And one of them like kicks a rock, <laughs> and the Yakuza member is like, bruh, bruh, and just shoots the guy dead. Yeah, and uh, I'm like, oh, that sucks. And then <laughs> while they're still fighting, J Bone's like, I'm gonna go get my guy, and just goes down there yeah, and then of course he gets down. caught i'm like what what are you doing jbo yeah not not the smartest smartest idea uh for me speaking of jbone uh for me my line was delivered by jbone and i, I want to say we're we're hating on that character a lot but that's because he doesn't really do a whole lot I do want to say I thought he was a good character. I I liked J-Bone. He was the Mm -hmm. best of the low techs. But aside from that, uh, it was at the very end when Dolph Lundgren's street preacher starts to starts to get up. Just garbage. Get that out of here. And then uh, everyone's like, oh, getting ready for a fight. And then he goes, that's just garbage. Get that out of here. <laughs> I was like, are you? Come on. <laughs> like, not only have we had like four, we've had betrayals. We've had like three different people fighting three different people, including like a mutiny. All this is happening at the end. And now we're going to get the the big final scare where the bad guy gets up again and I was just like oh <laughs> it was a cheesy joke and I was just not I wasn't having it yep I liked it but I understand why you didn't like it if they had cut some of that final couple of scenes out and made mm-hmm. it less chaotic I would have liked it better mm-hmm. but it felt like 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 it felt like four times they were like all right we've we've done it we're good and then it was like oh no you're not ha oh, deal with me now it's like oh I'm Takashi I've got you at you know sights it's over and then no I'm you know you're a subordinate and I'm gonna shoot you ha now I've got you at sights let's fight and like oh I'm the street preacher I've got you ah let's go blah, 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 blah. no I'm the yakuza leader and I'm come back to life I didn't actually die and I'm on your side now so here have this no oh, I'm dead <laughs> you know it's so much happening. <laughs> And then at the fact that it's over and it's like, oh, I'm the street preacher and I'm burned, but I'm coming back after you. It's like, oh, and then, nope, we've got just garbage. <laughs> it was a lot of I fake was, outs. <laughs> I was I was done. I was done by that time. <laughs> the movie could have ended 20 minutes earlier. <laughs> uh, all right. My worst line was. Uh, I want you to do something for me. Do yes, say bye. And Matt's was when the street preacher supposedly is still alive and tries to get back up. And J Bone says, uh, "That's just garbage. Get that out of here." Or something. That's what he said. All right. Final category: best character design. Uh, I wasn't sure about this one, so I went with Jones the dolphin. Hmm. It's an interesting um, choice. I thought just from just from a glance, it's a very silly idea to have a dolphin 
in a small aquarium be the linchpin or the entire way to solve the big problem of the movie. Um, Mm -hmm. But when you think about it, dolphins are smart. It's a very neat visual idea. Um, And uh, I thought it worked. And he's got this, he's he's not just an ordinary dolphin. He's got these uh, implants on his head. He's jacked into the internet. Um, We get to see him in the internet as a virtual character. And yeah, if it wasn't for Jones, the cure wouldn't have gotten out. So I thought it was a pretty cool character design. Yeah, I agree. It was, it was a good choice. It was interesting. Um, it was unique. You, I've never seen anything like that before. Uh, big surprise. It, mm-hmm. uh, that was one of the great ideas that this movie had, honestly. Uh, for me, I went with J-Bone. Um, okay. You know, he... Uh, I thought his costumes and his makeup always looked really cool. Every time you saw him, he looked really cool. The way his hair was up and the way he had, you know, little... It wasn't tattoos. It was like face paint on his face and the the costumes he had. Uh, and then he he carried a presence with him in this movie that was very, you know, take charge. I've got this under control. Listen to me. And I appreciated that in a movie that was so chaotic. Um, he had some questionable hiring uh, abilities based on the people that he staffed. But, um, yeah, I, I thought he was he was really cool. Mm-hmm. Especially visually. I, th- I thought he looked amazing. Yeah. And I think Ice-T has that just the right attitude for that. <clears throat> yeah. Like he he's sort of street, but at the same time, he's a leader. Like he, he skirted that line pretty good. All right. My, my pick was Jones the Dolphin for best character design. And Matt's pick was J-Bone played by Ice-T. You know what we forgot to do. What's that? Star ratings. Star ratings. That's right. <laughs> All right. So star ratings for Johnny Mnemonic. So I want to give this movie a five. Maybe okay. a four because it's it's got a lot of bad stuff in it, right? It's chaotic. It's crazy. It's it's the acting's not great. The music's not great. The cinematography's not great. In general, it's not great. You know, but mm-hmm. here's the thing. Like I said in my review, despite all these things, I was interested. And at the end of the day, I really enjoyed the movie. I really I did. I had fun watching it and I liked it. I rolled my eyes a lot, but I liked the film. Um, So I, I've got to up it. Right. So we'll say if it didn't have that, I'd probably give it a three or a four. But it did have that. And so I'm actually going to give it. A six because okay. it, it it kept me interested that much it, like I want I, I I don't want to give it less than a six because of how into the movie I got despite the fact that I was constantly sighing and rolling my eyes and going oh no it, it didn't matter I still liked it so yeah. I mean to me that's an above average movie so I've, I've got to give it more than five so I'll give it a six okay that's a good score so I kind of had a the beetle. I'm going to call it the Beetlejuice moment from now on for you. Mm-hmm. Like when I was a kid, this movie was a ten out of ten. Like I could, I quoted all the lines. I loved Keanu Reeves. 
I love the world. I like, I, I really in general like um, futuristic sci-fi stuff like Blade Runner and all that. Um, but watching it now, I still really like it, but I can't give it as high of a score as I would have in my younger days. Just because I noticed some more things about it. Um, so I'm going to give it a seven out of 10. I think that's a respectable choice, uh, especially given your, your background with this film. Yeah. It's painful to say, but seven out of 10 Man, seems right. You nailed it though. That's exactly, exactly how I felt with Beetlejuice. <laughs> I wanted to like it and I remembered liking it, but as an adult, I just didn't anymore. I, I still like it. I'll get, make sure I get that, but. I don't, I don't love it anymore, mm-hmm. I guess, which is sad, but. Just means you have more uh, developed tastes. Yes. Now. My palate has become more refined. Yes. Yes. Let's go watch some Crocodile Dundee in Los Angeles. No, I, I want that <laughs> Mr. Mr. Dundee or whatever, the new movie. I can't oh, wait yeah. to see that. Yeah, we need to remember that one. Hey, Matt. Hey, John. Did you know? At one point, Johnny's brain implant is detected by a security scanner and falsely reported as a device for counteracting dyslexia. Keanu Reeves, in fact, suffers from dyslexia in real life. I wonder if they knew that when they made that decision. I don't know. Well, John. Yes. Did you know that Val Kilmer was originally set to star in this film? Mm. But he turned it down to be Batman in Batman Forever. You probably And I know I know you said that you can't see anyone but Keanu doing this movie. But I got to say, I could see Val Kilmer doing well here. I mean, I can see I can see several people, Val Kilmer, Nicolas Cage. So people that are known to be kind of weird actors probably could have could have done it hmm. well. But um, this film was so interestingly, this film was shot on location in Canada. Uh, Toronto and Montreal were filling in for New Jersey and Beijing, which is weird. Um, several local sites, including Toronto's Union Station, Montreal's Skyline, and Jacques Cartier Bridge, feature prominently. Hmm. I'm guessing that's the bridge that we're seeing then. Probably, yeah. Um. So... Henry Rollins, his character Spider, was based on a character named Mad Stan, who I believe is a Batman villain. Hmm. He uh, actually would later go on to voice that character in Batman Beyond. Huh. Interesting. So now I have to wonder if that character is based off of him or not. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We already talked about this. This is interesting that the film takes place. It's more interesting now than it was even last year, but this film takes place 
in January 2021, mm-hmm. which is the that exact is month and year that we are releasing this episode. Yeah, it's uh, intentional. I didn't know that before I picked the movie. Which is- <laughs> shh, shh, <laughs> I'll edit that out. It was it. it was completely meant to be. Yes. We've been planning this for years. Yes. This is definitely not a good coincidence. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, here's one, here's one for you. Uh, early in the development of this movie, uh, there was talks with none other than Bono from U2 to do the soundtrack hmm. as well as to play a role in the film. Now, if you, John Murphy, were the director of Johnny Mnemonic and you had to cast Bono, who would you cast him as? Uh, Spider. Spider? Mm-hmm. I would have said Ralphie. That's who I would have cast him as, although I don't want to replace uh, the great acting that we had as Ralphie. Yeah. Uh, but in actuality, they wanted him to play uh, the street preacher. That's that was what I thought of in my head first. But I was like, I don't know if that would have worked. Mm-mm. No way. Yeah. You can't replace Dolph Lundgren there. Yeah. Even though I didn't like the character, he needed he, he needed the size and the intimidation factor that Dolph brings. Mm-hmm. For sure. So during the scene in the back room of Crazy Bob's computer store. It sounds like Johnny asked for an iPhone 12 years before it was launched. Really? Uh, yeah. However, what he, according to the script, uh, what he actually asked for is an iPhone. It's an early head-mounted interface designed by Jaron Lanier, or Lanier, uh, which is called, it's called a Thompson iPhone. So, yes, he says hmm. iPhone, but he's not referencing the Steve Jobs created, Apple created iPhone. That's really interesting. Huh. Blew your mind on that one, didn't I? That's going to be our episode for tonight. Join us in two weeks when we will, we will be reviewing the 1989 action film Batman starring Michael Keaton. Can't wait we- for that one. Oh, I mean, it's a terrible movie, but I'll I'll get through it. (laughs) JK, JK. We'd love it if you'd subscribe to the Cinema Men podcast on your podcast player of choice and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Head on over to cinemamenpodcast.com to check out new and old episodes. We always love to hear from listeners, so if you have a suggestion or you just want to give us your take on a movie, Feel free to email us at feedback at cinemamenpodcast.com or check us out on Twitter at twitter.com slash cinemamenpod. Thanks for listening.